0: The You Are Not So Smart podcast, live, on stage, in front of humans, in New York City. I would like you to be one of those humans, so please join me with several special scientists to celebrate self-delusion on May 15th. Tickets are available now, and if you need a link to find them, you will find that link on the You Are Not So Smart Twitter and Facebook accounts and at youarenotsosmart.com. You, me, brains, behavior, biases, and more in New York City on May 15th. At the Bell House. Get your tickets before you can't get tickets anymore.
1: Down the of the <laughs> a cool of the they went fire. Oh, yeah. about. the, power of the, a cool of
0: the they went fire. Welcome to the You Are Not So Smart Podcast, episode 151.
2: Flat Earth is the belief that our Earth is not a globe. But instead, it's a disk with the North Pole in the center. And Antarctica, instead of being a continent at the bottom of our globe, is actually a wall around the perimeter of a circle. So the North Pole's in the center, and the South Pole's the entire outside.
0: That's Daniel J. Clark, the director of a documentary, which you can watch right now on Netflix. It's also on iTunes and many other places, called Behind... The Curve, and explores a subculture of people who call themselves flat earthers because they believe that, well, they believe the earth is flat. Here's some clips.
3: Excuse me. Can I ask you a question? Anyone ever told you the earth is flat? What? I just feel like I have an obligation to tell people you don't live on a spinning ball. I've been telling them for years you didn't come from monkeys.
4: In reality, You are actually in a giant planetarium, slash terrarium, slash soundstage, slash Hollywood backlot. The more I researched it and then I found out that it's actually the the
3: biblical cosmology is a geocentric cosmology, then I realized why they're hiding the truth. It's because they don't want anyone to know anything.
4: A lot of people realize that if you're a flat earther, you can only date flat earthers once you get into it, because it's too much of a paradigm shift.
3: They want people dumb, blind, deaf to the truth, so they can inject you with their vaccines and their public schooling and this heliocentric model, which is basically forced sun worship. The idea people have of flat earthers is totally wrong. You know, they think they're total idiots and they live in their mom's basement and they believe everything anyone tells them. It's quite the opposite. We test everything. We're all either super successful or doing our own thing.
4: There are millions of Flat Earthers. It's a fantastic community. It is a community, and you
0: start to really understand that as you watch the documentary and follow along with Daniel J. Clark and his producers Caroline Clark and Nick Ander as they spend time with Flat Earthers, and they consult psychologists, scientists, and journalists in an attempt to not only understand conspiratorial thinking, but to introduce ideas from the psychology of reasoning to the general public. And they do so through a very empathetic lens, something they had honed through their previous work in unscripted documentary filmmaking.
2: This is Daniel Clark. I got into documentaries when I first moved out to L.A. I started working in them, and I was pretty excited to be doing that, and got a lot of experience making them. How we got to make our own is we were, you know, working on a lot of other people's stuff, and we decided, let's do our own thing, and uh, Flat Earth fell on our laps, in a way. Uh, no one else was making a documentary about it, so we decided, let's let's do it.
5: My name is Caroline Clark. I am the producer of this documentary, and I met Nick and Daniel working in um, unscripted television. We made a 30 for 30 together with um, a director, Patrick Creedon, and um, then we decided, like, like Daniel said, to make our own documentary on Flat Earthers.
6: Uh, This is Nick Andert. Um, I also started working in Doc when I moved out here actually on the same project uh, as Daniel uh, at the time and um, I've been mostly an editor uh, throughout most of my career. Um, I like storytelling a lot and I like unscripted storytelling in particular. Uh, I think it's really uh, really compelling um, to try to sculpt some story out story out of like hundreds of hours of footage and try to see uh, you know where it's gonna go, not knowing what's gonna happen while you're while you're filming. I think it's really exciting. And we decided to do this and uh, it's been great ever since.
0: The response to Behind the Curve has been extremely positive. And if you haven't seen it, I highly, highly recommend you do check it out right now before we spoil some stuff for you. So here is your spoiler alert pause. This project started when Nick was browsing around on Reddit and found a thread about Flat Earthers. And like many people, like me for a long time, he thought it was fake. A fake conspiracy theory. Some kind of mass troll of the internet. But when he looked into it, he was surprised to learn that not only do a lot of people truly believe that the Earth is flat, they have a strong, vibrant community that meets up regularly. In fact, they had a big meetup coming up soon where they were all going to get together at a convention center and that meant well we could make a documentary about this that leads up to that event but they don't just meet there they meet up around the world or as they might believe across the
6: world i was uh on a, a reading a reddit thread actually that was talking about flat earthers i forget the exact uh topic of the thread in particular, but. Um, I at that point thought it was a joke, um, that it was like a lot of people trolling online, no one really believed this. Um, it was just like a, a meme that got out of hand, basically. And then I kept seeing people talk about their experiences with family members or co-workers who were flat earthers, and I was really surprised that um, a lot of people actually believed this unironically. I didn't expect that, and uh, that got me interested in why and like how somebody could actually uh believe this uh despite all the evidence out there so we had been uh, like we said looking for a doc to do uh at the time and i I asked him if this was something that uh would pique all of our interests and then we uh went down the rabbit hole pretty much right away
0: so nick thought it was a great idea an unexplored topic a great topic for a documentary and daniel was already fascinated with conspiracy theories and the people who believe them And Daniel was also fascinated with the psychology of reasoning and belief because he was a fan of this very podcast. I want
2: to say a thank you to you because literally when I was driving away from a lot of these interviews, I would be listening to your podcast.
0: And Caroline had been deeply moved by a previous unscripted project of hers in which she investigated the people within the conspiracy theory community who believe school shootings are false flag operations.
5: My first experience with conspiracy theorists was with Sandy Hook truthers, people who don't believe the Sandy Hook elementary school shooting happened. And I I made a short film about them um, and about a family who was impacted um, by what those truthers say.
0: After that project, Caroline wanted to find a more palatable way to explore conspiratorial thinking and the psychology that fuels it. And so, when Nick and Daniel presented Flat Earthers as a possible topic for a new film, these three filmmakers knew they had a potential vehicle for introducing into the mainstream some very important lessons about critical thinking, belief, identity, tribalism, cognitive biases, the Dunning-Kruger effect, motivated reasoning, and so on. Because, at its core, the phenomena of both believing in a flat earth and forming a community around that belief are driven by the same absolutely normal, absolutely common to the human experience psychological mechanisms that lead to believing that, you know, Sandy Hook might have been some kind of false flag. The same psychological mechanisms that lead to science denial subcultures like anti-vaxxers, moon landing hoaxers, and evolution deniers, and political conspiracy theory cultures like 9-11 truthers, birthers, QAnon, and Pizzagate. The only difference with flat earthers is that, well they believe a lot of things. Let me let Caroline explain.
5: Flat Earthers generally believe a myriad of conspiracies. And so um, one of our subjects says that, you know, Flat Earth is the last book on the shelf that you've gone through every other conspiracy theory you could find um, before you got to Flat Earth. And that Flat Earth was the mother of all conspiracies, that it's a worldwide conspiracy that governments would have to all be uh, working together on to hide from from the entire world population. So um, while flat earth is an easier conspiracy theory to talk about, these people also, generally speaking, believe all those other conspiracies that are harmful as well. So um, it was easier to talk about how they come to these beliefs using flat earth, though it does apply to other conspiracies as well.
0: In a moment, we will explore what Caroline just said, that these beliefs form in a similar way across communities. But before that, I would like to mention that within the flat earth community, even though they believe in a number of other theories, they entertain a lot of other beliefs, there are a number of competing flat earth beliefs that not every person subscribes to.
2: There are a lot of different variations on whether there's a dome on top of us or whether there are continents outside of Antarctica that only the elite and rich and powerful know about and don't want us to get to or know about. The governments, in, in this conspiracy and a lot of the thinking, the governments discovered this in the 50s or 60s when they were trying to do space travel, hit the dome or hit some sort of ice wall on the outside and realized, oh, we can't let people know that the Earth is flat, so we need to hide it from them. So according to them, all the governments got together or all the big enough governments got together and decided to keep this a secret. And that is done in order, I guess, to control us and in order to um, prove that there's maybe not a god or not a creator. Because if the earth is flat and there's a dome, then something had to have created it.
6: And they're thinking, yeah, the motivations tend to vary Uh, a lot between, well, why would anyone hide this? Um, Everyone sort of has a different answer, but to hide the extra continents, to hide the existence of God, or some sort of vague to control us answer is generally what you'll hear.
0: Whatever model you subscribe to as a flat earther, the binding idea is that there is a mysterious, powerful them that at some point learned the earth was flat, either through seeing it from space or from exploring to the farthest edges of the disk. And now, they are covering it up for some reason. And for most people, these disagreements about the model itself, how the flat earth works, are manageable because at the end of the day, it's the notion of a powerful them hiding the truth that drives their belief system. But that's not to say there aren't camps and schisms within the community that operate a bit like denominations within a religious belief system.
6: Absolutely. And I think... um, Part of the issue is when you get have people who are very conspiratorial and your first reaction to somebody disagreeing with you isn't necessarily well maybe they're they're right and I'm wrong uh, so oftentimes your first reaction might be well I know I'm right so why are they pushing this wrong thing they're out to get me there must they must be part of the conspiracy too and when that tends to be your knee-jerk reaction it does create a lot of chaos and schism inside of Uh, the community, and I think that happens with conspiratorial communities in general, just as a by their very nature. The irony is that parts of the Flat Earth community who believe in one model are actually sometimes rather adept at proving while the other model is wrong and vice versa. So within the community they, you can you know, a lot of their actual beliefs have actually been disproven by other members in the community uh, in sort of like this uh you know, circular firing range, right? But like, um, the, uh, but no one person will necessarily believe that everything's been disproven. So everyone can have some sort of form of the belief to hold on to. They basically all, at the very least, believe that you can't prove that the earth is curved even though you can, and you can't prove that the earth is rotating even though you can. So they'll, they'll hold on to those two and use them to branch out into any number of flat earth beliefs. So, for example, one of the easiest things to disprove about the uh, the map they usually use is called the azimuthal Equidistant projection. Is um, say it slower for the as, <laughs> azimuthal Equidistant projection. And uh, the, uh, the there are flights that go from uh, intercontinental flights in the southern hemisphere, say from Sydney to Santiago and back. Um, direct flights that would be impossible on a flat Earth model to happen in the time frame that they do. Um, and it's a very easy test, anyone can gr- take one of these flights, uh, and they completely disprove that model, and yet that model is still the, the chief model that all, most Flat Earthers use. Now, there's a small sect of Flat Earthers who don't use that model and who will say, ha, see, this disproves that to the other ones. Meanwhile, the ones who use that model will generally just say, well, maybe we don't have everything right yet, but they'll still use that model as a basis regardless of the fact that it's been, you know, pretty explicitly disproven.
0: Disproven. But by whom? By them? By the people that don't want you to know the truth? I think it's easy to make fun of conspiracy theorists, to make fun of anyone with fringe beliefs, or with beliefs that are far outside of what science says is most likely to be true, or people who believe in things that are beyond that corona of ignorance that's just on the edge of what we do know for sure. There are things that science either doesn't have the tools to understand, or it has the tools to understand it, but it doesn't understand it well, and there are many competing theories, many competing models. So people are free, of course, to believe whatever they want. And belief itself is such a strange thing. I think that when we see people who believe in things like the Earth being flat it's easy to point our fingers at them and say, ha 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 ha, look at these fools, right? But that's something that I like a lot about this documentary. And if you're a fan of this show, I hope you really do check it out and that you share it with others, because the conspiracy theorists are not presented as rubes or idiots, but as human beings searching for meaning in a complicated world prone to the same irrational thinking as all of us. You see, on full display, and hear from experts about things like confirmation bias, which is our tendency to search for evidence that confirms our hunches and stop looking once we find it, instead of searching for more evidence that might disconfirm our hunches. And you also see the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is our tendency to be bad at estimating our own expertise, often overestimating how much we understand something after spending some time on Wikipedia or YouTube skimming the surface, and in so doing, we sometimes underestimate how much expertise one would need to actually be an expert on a given topic. In other words, the less you know about something, the less you think there is to know about something. And most of all, the documentary explores motivated reasoning, our tendency to be emotionally invested in a particular conclusion and then reason toward that conclusion. Why? Because it's more important that you believe something for some reason than it is for you to be Right. It's more important to maintain that belief than it is to avoid being wrong. And you see this over and over again in the documentary. They start with the conclusion that the earth is flat because their identity is wrapped up in it, or their community is wrapped up in it, or they've spent so much time thinking about this, they're so invested in it that it's just become this thing that to get rid of that belief would require them to dissolve an entire worldview they've committed a lot of time and effort to. And so, They go looking for evidence to support this conclusion that they've become extremely emotionally invested in. And what makes the documentary so compelling, I think, is because you see people doing this with disconfirmation bias. And this is not something you often see in these discussions, especially not on film. Disconfirmation bias is refuting clear evidence that challenges your beliefs. And you do it because it's unavoidable. The evidence has entered your mind despite your best efforts to avoid having that evidence appear. In the film, we see this when flat earthers use the scientific method, and they do this. They use the scientific method to test their hunches with experiments. And they perform those experiments, and they get results, and those results suggest that their hypothesis is incorrect. Or, to put it another way, it provides more evidence for a competing hypothesis. And what do they do? They dismiss it as some kind of anomaly. It's fascinating to watch because this same sort of thing has happened many times in our long slog out of pre-scientific ignorance. We call them superseded scientific theories in chemistry and physics and psychology and astronomy and so on. There have been a number of these. Because scientists aren't above this, I mean, that's why we invented science to begin with. Because people are prone to this kind of thinking. So there have been a number of models that people were unwilling to discard in the face of experimental counter-evidence because the evidence collected so far seemed to fit together so well, so nice, into some existing model that had been used for years to explain things. And it took a lot of anomalies before it became clear that a different set of explanations would be needed to make sense of things going forward. This is the whole reason we have science, because science is smarter than scientists, and the method is what delivers results over time. But for that method to work, people using that method must be willing to say that they are wrong. They must be willing to give up some hypothesis or some belief that they've formed around whatever that method has produced in the past. But if your worldview or your reputation or your livelihood or most of all, if your community is at stake, should you accept evidence that you are wrong, And admit that you're wrong to not just yourself, but to all those people who have become your friends and your peers and your support group. That can be really hard to do. Here's another clip from the documentary Showing All This, in which a flat earther named Bob Nodal describes what happens when he and a group of people in the community purchase a very expensive ring laser gyroscope. In this clip, you will hear from the physicist Spiros and science writer Tim Urban, who will explain why this counter evidence produced by this powerful instrument doesn't sway Nodal or his peers. The clip starts with Mecalicus.
6: The difference between being skeptical about something and being in denial is very subtle, but very important, right? Someone who is skeptical is willing to test their own hypothesis, their own assumptions.
7: They are actually looking for the truth. Even if it turns out that they were wrong. Recently, we've carried out an experiment to test the rotation to the Earth. If the Earth is spinning at one rotation every 24 hours, that means that every hour it has to turn 15 degrees. And if the gyroscope is mounted anywhere on Earth, it's going to drift. In today's 21st century navigation systems, they're using what's called a ring laser gyroscope. It is extremely precise. If we could simply get one of these ring laser gyroscopes, we would be able to prove once and for all that there is no rotation to the Earth. One of the people in the community actually purchased one for $20,000.
1: You start at point A, and then you do some kind of process of collecting evidence, of thinking, or whatever you want, and you end up at a conclusion, point B, that you believe is true, okay? Science is the arrow. That's all science is, is the arrow. Science is a process to get to conclusions.
7: But what we found is, is when we turned on that gyroscope, we found that we were picking up a drift, a 15 degree per hour drift. Now, (laughs) obviously we were taken aback by that. Wow, that's kind of a a problem,
1: (laughs) right? But there's a whole other way to think, which is that you start at B, you start at the conclusion and you say, I have to find evidence that shows that this is true.
6: You're not looking for data to try to prove you wrong or refine your position, right? You're trying to look for all the
7: data that proves you right.
1: You'll cherry pick until you find evidence that appears to be an arrow, a logical arrow to your dogma.
7: We obviously were not willing to accept that, and so we started looking for ways to disprove that it was actually registering the motion of the Earth and that it in fact was registering the motion of the sky. So the next thing that we set out to do was to encase the fiber optic gyro in what's called a zero Gauss chamber to see if we could actually shield the energies being generated by the heaven. And we were unsuccessful with that, unfortunately. So the next thing that we're going to try is encasing the entire apparatus in bismuth. If anything works well, I'd like to release it at the conference.
1: If there's not anything that you can say Anything you can show me that could make me believe, oh, I guess I'm wrong. It's not falsifiable anymore. It doesn't make any sense for a scientist to argue with that kind of thinking. There's no point.
7: We have been able to prove other aspects of it. And so it's not unreasonable then for us to continue claiming that the Earth is flat.
2: So where we left them, and I don't think it's been done since, is the bismuth chamber, which is... A very heavy metal uh, that wouldn't allow any electronic interference to the ring laser gyro. It still doesn't explain why the gyroscope, the mechanical one, also picks up the drift. But <clears throat> we didn't necessarily go there. But they have they have their
6: explanation too.
2: Their their explanation is that the Earth is not spinning. It's actually the display system. Some some flat earthers believe that it's not a sky. It's like a display system, like a super HD TV. That's beyond our concept of what you know projection could even be um so that's rotating and that's what we're picking up and then there's also the concept of the ether which is kind of a different concept altogether but it's all tied up and and they're saying well the earth we know that the earth's not spinning so it must be something else when in fact the The most logical explanation is that the earth is spinning.
6: And for those who don't know, the ether is this scientific concept that people, uh, it's a belief people held for a long time and then there were experiments in the 19th century that proved that the ether is not real. Um, And uh, Einstein's theories of general and special relativity sort of accounted for the fact that there is no ether. It sort of led to relativity actually. Uh, which they don't believe is a real theory or, or a correct theory, I guess, and they still cling to this idea of the ether because in these old experiments, um, part of the reason that they knew the ether was not real is that the ether would only work if the Earth was not spinning. Uh, interestingly enough, so like they sort of worked backwards on that and were like, "Well, we know the Earth isn't spinning, so that must mean the ether is real, and that must mean the ether is what, what's driving these results." And they've sort of clung on to that as a potential explanation for the 15 degree per hour drift, and um, that's the, they're they're saying they proved the ether actually via this method. Um, that's been basically their line ever since, I think.
2: Yeah, but no other scientific research has proved the ether.
6: Correct. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's it's been falsified in a number of other ways, but it it does come back to this concept of falsification where. The proper way to apply the scientific method is to, you know, come up with a hypothesis, control the variables, test the hypothesis, and if it's proved false, then you know you accept that, and you've controlled all the variables, and you'll accept that that you know concept has been falsified to the best of our knowledge, and you'll try to explain whatever uh, you know phenomenon you're trying to explain in some other way. Um, but the flat earthers have not shown an ability to let their hypothesis be falsified, basically, because no matter what results they'll get, because when Bob turned that gyro on, whether or not it picked up 15 degrees per hour, he was going to still believe the earth was flat. He was just going to have to find another explanation that's more complicated to explain the results if it, you know, said 15. And that's been the case with all their other experiments that we've seen, too.
2: Yeah. And, and me being there in the room, I was actually really surprised um, that he was very, I mean, you see it in the the film, he's very matter-of-fact about the results they got. He wasn't trying to hide them. Um, And it was interesting to see how he, he kind of outsmarted himself instead of thinking, like, oh, okay, this makes sense according to all other science and all the other effects and star trails and all that stuff, they all lead to this same conclusion that the Earth is a globe and it's spinning and moving through space. But instead of doing that, there's a much more complicated explanation that they still haven't figured out all the details for, which is that the Earth is flat and the stars are spinning above and there's an ether.
0: Several times in the documentary, we see flat earthers feel that maybe I'm wrong feeling, and they come very close to an epiphany. Then we... See the doubt ripple across their faces, and in the moment at least, they seem to weigh the pros and cons of abandoning their beliefs. And then they double down. It happens in one scene when flat earther Patricia Steer tells the filmmakers how she faces. A lot of negativity from her own community.
8: I never thought that the name Patricia, which is my birth first name, would be spun into the fact that the last three letters are CIA in the word Patricia, which means I'm in the CIA because the government would be that dumb. But okay, if people want to believe it. Uh, other things that have been said, that I'm a reptilian and people see my eyes shape shift while I'm on YouTube, that I... Drink blood. The most recent one is that I'm transgender.
3: I mean, I I even threw up a question one day, what's up with Patricia Steer,
8: you know? Cause I don't know, but um I don't know. Now, the thing about all of these things is I can't prove any of it wrong. I could and have shown people my birth certificate, my driver's license, photos of myself as a child, and they'll say, well, if you're CIA, all of that stuff can be constructed. People will still say, you don't have a real family, that you don't have a brother and sister. Um, There's nothing that I can do. Anybody can believe whatever they want to believe about me, but I wonder if in their hearts, people who do that know they're lying, or are they so conspiratorial that they actually believe it? Then it makes me worry about maybe things I believe in. Am I like another version of them? But I know I'm not.
2: Um, that was just me in the car with Patricia. And I remember my jaw was probably wide open when she was talking about that because that was, I, I was like, wow, is she going to realize all of a sudden that maybe she could be wrong? And then she immediately, without a half a second in between the thought, says, but that's not me. That's not me at all. And um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why that happens, but I think it's really interesting uh, that the brain can shut down Any idea, like, I don't know, but that's not me. I'm not at all like that.
6: But she was so close. And that was, I mean, she'd she'd connected every dot but the very final one. And that's so interesting to see because, like, again, like she's a very smart person. And, like, it's not like she can't see these things. It's, it, it almost becomes a decision to not accept it at a certain point.
0: In one of the most powerful moments in the film, and this is a big spoiler if you haven't seen it, we see Daniel confront Mark Sargent one of the leaders of the flat earth community, who we follow from the very first scene of the film. And we see Daniel confront him, challenge him, with a question that obviously shakes him. And then psychologist Per Epson Stockness comments on it.
4: The Truman Show, a big reason why the lead character left, when he discovered his entire world was fake, was he had nothing to lose. Jim Carrey was inevitably going to leave that place because there was nothing for him inside. Compare that with anyone else. Let's say we'll go to the other end, which would be the mayor of that town. Let's say the mayor of that town got in a sailboat and got out to the edge. The guy's got limos, the guy's got mistresses, he's got money, he's got a pretty cushy life. Does he open the door and face the devil you don't know versus the devil you know? No.
2: Wouldn't you say, in a sense though, like you're now the mayor of Flat Earth? say you lose faith in this thing. What then happens to my personal relationships? And what's the benefit of me of doing that? Will the mainstream people welcome me back? No, they couldn't care less. But have I now lost all my friends in this
4: community? Yes. So suddenly you're doubly isolated. If I tried to go, there would be so many people. They would come and say, don't, don't, don't do it. And so I couldn't even if I wanted to.
2: It becomes a question of identity. Um, Who am I in this world? And I can define myself through this struggle. That's, yeah, that's a kind of a a common feeling is that Mark doesn't really believe this. He's in it for the fame. And I think I can't, he's never admitted that or anything. But when we asked him that question, it was very much because we were seeing that develop. That he was now this celebrity, he was flown. When he he was flown to different places, and you know, across people, the world, across the world, people would say, "Mark, we need you to come speak at our conference or at our meetup." And he's like, "Fly me out, I'll be there." You know, buy me a ticket, and I'm on my way. And I think he really enjoys his celebrity, and I I I feel like it must be equivalent to some sort of political pundit, just someone who's not consciously aware that they don't believe what they're saying, but whose entire life is now dependent upon their belief in this one thing. And so when we asked him the question, his result, his answer was what you see in the film. It was, you know, I I couldn't leave if I wanted to. And, uh, it, it kind of mirrors his, I didn't choose flat earth, flat earth chose me. Um, as this like it's beyond my control now like this is who i've become and this is who i am and uh and even the even the documentary marks i think the only one who's consistently approved quote unquote the behind behind the curve as a, as a film everyone else has their doubts saying like ah oh, they misrepresented this they they lied to us they're a bunch of cia agents and mark says no i think it's a good movie uh and he's pretty much held that firmly because i think it makes him look the way he wants to be perceived.
6: Um, I think, in my experience, identity is honestly one of the the most crucial parts because if uh, if your beliefs are or if your identity is built off of your beliefs, then if uh, somebody's challenging that, they're not challenging their beliefs. They're challenging your own conception of yourself, and you're going to defend that much more fiercely than you would defend anything else um and it's going to cause you to do what um Tim and Spiros talk about in the middle of the film when uh they're they're talking about instead of trying to instead of accepting evidence that will lead you to a conclusion you've got a conclusion that's very important for you to defend so you're going to cherry pick and find any evidence that will support that conclusion uh regardless of whether it's fact based or not because uh it's deeply important for you to support that identity Um, I think one of the really important steps in like slowly helping to, uh, I don't know, punch through that, I guess, is that that a lot of people, it's a step that a lot of people, especially arguing online, don't necessarily, uh, take, um, is having empathy for the other person's frame of mind or for why they hold that belief. Even saying something as simple as like, Oh, I understand why this seems that way, or that's that viewpoint makes a lot of sense. Let's maybe take a you know a deeper look at why it appears to be like this and why maybe it's not. Because if you right off the bat tell somebody like, you're stupid for thinking this, why would anyone think what you think? Event- immediately that puts them into a defensive posture. And they're not gonna necessarily be open to anything you have to say. But if somebody is telling you that, no, your viewpoint, you know, fundamentally there's nothing wrong with the way you're seeing the world necessarily, but you you know, there could be a better explanation for this, uh, that opens you up a little bit more to accepting uh, some sort of contrary view, I think.
5: And what we tried to show with the film too is like, um, a a lot of people look at flat earthers and say things like, oh, they're uneducated or they're crazy. And one of the goals with the film was to show you that they're not uneducated and they're not crazy. They're not, you know, people like to say they're like mentally ill or something like that. Um, But they are doing experiments and asking questions because they're genuinely curious. And so walking them through their curiosity, like Nick said, is important. Because they're asking questions because they want to know the answers. So dismissing them outright is, is not a good solution.
0: I really like Behind the Curve. I mean, I don't know how much more I can talk about this without just coming out and saying it gets my big stamp of approval. It's wholly endorsed by You Are Not So Smart. Because by focusing on flat earth, an apolitical and to most people innocuous conspiracy theory, it provides something that the research into debunking says is a powerful tool. It's a powerful tool both when it comes to magical thinking and conspiratorial logic loops because it allows people to see a failure of critical thinking in one domain and they can, on their own, see how they may be failing to apply critical thinking to something in their own lives, something that's become too attached to their identity or in some other way too emotionally charged to discuss directly.
2: To to the general public and to to most people, there are very low stakes in flat Earth conspiracy. Like there's no nobody's been harmed because of it. Nobody knows people who were hurt because of globe Earth. Uh, it offends people for sure, but it's definitely a less emotionally driven, like Caroline said. Um, and I want to kind of go down this road too. People have since the movie's been out. People have commented on our videos or whatever or ma- emailed us saying we should make a documentary about anti-vaxxers now our response to that is we did we, ju- we just did
0: By observing how curious, logical, intelligent people get led astray by their own psychological mechanisms, coupled with the conspiracy-friendly algorithms of Google and YouTube and the tribal and identity-stoking context of social media behind the curve, shows that we are all prone to this kind of thinking. And so it provides the humility and empathy I think we need in these contentious times. And with that in mind, the show's not over. In the next segment, We sit down with a scientist who studies conspiracy theories and has developed a way to test just how prone an individual, like yourself, might be to thinking in this way. You will hear the three questions he uses to test that, and you will hear what he has learned after more than a decade of researching why we do this. Then, we will come back and revisit the filmmakers one last time to hear their thoughts on how we can all be better critical thinkers and perhaps, more importantly, how we can all be better at reaching out to people who believe things that we are pretty sure are not true. All that, after this break. ¶¶ Here's something that's true. One of my favorite things to do is learn something new. And the Great Courses Plus is by far the best way to do that. It's like being a kid in a candy store, except we're talking about information here. And they have a wealth of information across so many fascinating topics. Look, here's some titles. These are things you probably haven't thought of in a very long while. Fallacies of Faulty Authority. What is that? You could learn all about it. Ancient Mesopotamia. Mm, I've heard about that before. Science versus pseudoscience. Oh, that's our bread and butter. They have so many things like this. And with the great courses plus, you get unlimited access to learn from some of the best professors in the world without the pressure of homework or exams. I recommend checking out their brand new course, Theories of Knowledge, How to Think About What You Know. Doesn't it just sound cool already? How to think about what you know? This course gives a philosophical look at what knowledge truly is, how we acquire it, and how we justify our beliefs. This course is all about how humans have been attempting to understand for thousands of years what knowledge is and how it gets inside of us. And now that we have this fast-paced world, technological change, social networks, and information that's plentiful and cheap, but may or may not be true, you have more to think about than ever when it comes to thinking about how you have more to think about than ever. There are 24 30-minute lectures in this course, everything from knowledge, truth, and belief to the coherence theory of knowledge to self-knowledge, externalist theories of knowledge, memory of knowledge, confabulations, of the extended mind, innate knowledge, Hume, the media, scientific testimony, and more. You are going to love the Great Courses Plus, and for a limited time only, you can get a free trial plus lock into their lowest rate $10 a month when you sign up for a three month plan <laughs> free low price $10 a month. That's 50% off of their regular price. And to get this limited time deal, go to the great smart to get your free trial plus 50% off of your monthly plan right now. I mean, which one of these? Ugh, it's crazy. This is a great deal. To get this, go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smart. And now we return to our program. My name is David McCraney, and this is the You Are Not So Smart podcast. In the first segment of this episode, we sat down with the filmmakers who made Behind the Curve, a documentary about people who believe the Earth is flat. This is considered a conspiracy theory because for you to believe that the Earth is flat, you have to believe there is a conspiracy to convince you that the Earth is not flat and that someone is behind that conspiracy, some great them out there who don't want you to know the truth. We learned from that conversation that, like most conspiracy theorists, flat earthers are usually reasonable, intelligent, scientifically curious people. They love their families, they hold down jobs, they pay their bills, and so on. In other words, they aren't crazy, and they aren't stupid. So, what leads reasonable, intelligent, scientifically curious people into such fringe beliefs like these? What makes a smart person susceptible to conspiratorial thinking? But well, it might surprise you to learn that we haven't been asking that question in science up until recently. Until about the 2000s, the only people who studied conspiratorial thinking were historians, and much of their work focused only on social movements and social anxieties and national trends that led to such beliefs. In other words, they didn't spend much time thinking about individual believers. It wasn't until the attacks on 9-11 that psychologists and political scientists began to turn their attention and their research to the believers themselves, to what was happening in the lives and brains of people who come to believe in one conspiracy theory, or many. For the last 12 years, one of the leading researchers in this domain has been political scientist Joseph
9: My name is Joe Uzynski. I'm an associate professor of political science at the University of Miami. I study conspiracy theories and the people that believe them. According to Uzynski,
0: in the United States, about 60% of people believe that the JFK assassination was a conspiracy. 25% believe that Barack Obama is secretly a Muslim or a Kenyan or both. 25% believe that 9-11 was an inside job 21% 21% think that the government is covering up some sort of alien contact. 20% believe vaccines are part of some conspiracy in some form or another. 10% believe that fluoride is. 6% think that the moon landing was faked. 5% believe that airplanes are producing chemtrails. And 4% believe that the world is secretly controlled by reptile overlords. 4%, by the way, is 12.3 million people. So, most people in the United States believe in at least one of the major conspiracy theories. But if you include all the many political conspiracy theories that come and go and go around for a little while, it's likely that you, dear listener, believe in something that isn't as obviously fringe as flat earth, but it's still no less the result of conspiratorial thinking, and it's led you into a belief in something that simply is not so. And this, says Yuzinski, is why it is so important that we study this aspect of human psychology. What people believe, especially about their governments, affects how they vote. It affects what they value, and it pushes them toward or away from collective action. And that action can affect the unfolding of history, whether or not people participate in it. Here he is talking about that sort of thing at a recent lecture.
9: Individuals can take action on these theories, and they can cause incredible damage when they do it. So just two years ago, a guy got a loaded weapon, went into a pizza shop, fired off a round that went only a, f- a few feet from somebody's head, then went to a broom closet door, expected to find a secret tunnel that would lead him down to the uh, sex slave children that Hillary Clinton had been, had been uh, molesting and then burning in the pizza ovens. And he was shocked to find brooms in the broom closet. And he went in front of the judge and he said, gosh, I'm really sorry, but I was just there to save the children. And the judge said, one, you're going to jail, and two, that bullet was only a few inches from blowing somebody's head off. So people can take bad action when they believe these theories. Somebody's going to fight fire with fire.
0: I asked Yuzinski, as a political scientist, how did he become interested in conspiracy theories? So I've been working on this about 12 years. Uh, When I got into it, I'd like to
9: give a more romantic story about why I started doing it. But all I can say is a a co-author of mine at the time, Joe Parent, came to me and said, conspiracy theories, causes and consequences. And I said, gosh, um, sounds interesting, but it's way off the beaten path of political science. And he persisted. And then I I sort of looked into it, and I said, "There's no data on this." I said, "No one's been collecting survey data. No one's been collecting, you know, these large data sets to make any claims over time," um, which is what I would have wanted to do. So, I went to the letters to the editor of the New York Times. We gathered a thousand editors a year for 120 years, so um, 1890s to 2010. And then we had about 120,000 letters, and then we had our assistants code them all uh, based on whether they engaged in a conspiracy theory or not, and then who who was being accused um, and when. So we wound up with this, this body of more than 800 letters over time, and, and you see some of the big conspiracy theories that we know of getting mentioned, but you see a lot of the little fish, too. And that's what made it sort of a neat data collection is that, you know, when you go out and survey on conspiracy theories, the researcher is picking the conspiracy theory they're going to ask people about. Um, But with this, you know, we were picking up any and every conspiracy theory that people had on their mind at the time. And and there was a really broad range, whether it was the CIA created lesbianism to take down the women's movement or Jimmy Carter is a Soviet agent. I mean, all sorts of, of weird stuff. Uh, Was in there, Um, so that was the first step, and then and then we started doing polling, and we've been doing some repeated polling uh, since 2012. So it's given us a lot of leverage on um, at least conspiracy thinking and conspiracy beliefs in the U.S.
0: In that data set, Yuzinski found a clear pattern. Conspiracy theories can be plotted onto a grid. On one axis, the theories correspond to the partisanship of the believers. And on the other axis, the theories can be plotted by whether people feel like they are, as he puts it, winners or losers. Together, over time, conspiracy theories come and go depending on who is in political power. When the left is in power, the conspiracies that thrive tend to be about communism, socialism, and liberal plots to cheat, take power, and keep it. When the right is in power, the conspiracies that bubble to the surface tend to be about corporations, the wealthy, and Republican plots to cheat, take power, and keep it.
9: What we find is that conspiracy theories tend to be used by groups who are on the bottom end of a power asymmetry. So, so think about any sports game. Who complains about the the, the refs' calls? It's the losers. Who says they were cheated? It's the losers. We find the same exact thing after every major election. It's the losing party says we were cheated. The the other side, either, you know, they had people vote illegally or they hid the ballots or they kept people from voting who should have been able to vote. Um, But this is, you know, this is very regular in our elections where losers say um, that they should have won if only they hadn't been cheated by the other side. Um, And going back to the letters to the editor data I, I mentioned What we found in that data was that over time, when a Republican was president, the majority of the accusations of conspiracy were focusing on uh, the right and the rich. And when a Democrat was president, the it switched so that then the accusations were focusing on the left and communists and socialists. So whoever was in power was the lightning rod for. Uh, the majority of the conspiracy theories. And if you just look back in the last 20 years, you see this demonstrated fairly well. I mean, when Clinton was president, like, oh my God, they have a kill list. And, you know, they killed this one and that one. And uh, uh, they have all these scandals. And then Bush came into office and then it was 9-11 and Halliburton and Blackwater and Cheney and, you know. And then as soon as Barack Obama was elected, all of that became socially and politically inert. And it was the birth certificate. Um, and secret Muslimism and all this stuff. And, and now, even though Donald Trump is a conspiracy theorist, which normally doesn't happen, um, the left has engaged in a lot of conspiracy theories.
0: And there's a third dimension to all of this. Just how likely a person is to believe in a conspiracy theory in general determines how far along they go along one of these axes, how deep they go into one of the quadrants.
9: People's beliefs tend to be driven by their existing worldviews. So in order for people generally to buy into a conspiracy theory, um, that theory will have to conform to their existing worldviews. So, for example, Republicans aren't going to believe their own party is out to get them. They're going to believe the other party is out to get them and and vice versa. Um, And on top of that, there is a dimension of thinking that I call conspiracy thinking. And that is that some people have this worldview, uh, to one degree or another, um, where conspiracies control events and circumstances. Other people have this worldview much less, where they tend to reject conspiracies outright. Most, most of us are somewhere in the middle along this continuum, so it's not an either-or. Um, but imagine, so for, for someone to believe that Barack Obama faked his birth certificate to illegally usurp the presidency, um, you, you can't be a Democrat, first of all, um, and, you, and you can't be someone who rejects conspiracy theories. So in order for you to buy into this, you have to be someone who is probably a Republican and... You know, has a lot of conspiracy logic floating around in your head. So, for that reason, if you divide this into quadrants, you know, high conspiracy thinkers and low conspiracy thinkers, and Republicans and Democrats, you're going to wind up with about 25 percent of people who will buy into any partisan conspiracy theory. So, you you had you know polls showing about 25 percent of the public bought into birther theories. On the opposite side, you had about 25 percent. Um you, you know, at least for about a decade and a half buying into um, 9/11 truth theories that accused the Bush administration of blowing up the Twin towers. Now interestingly, the the 9/11 truth numbers are coming up. Um, it seems like, and the reason for that uh, seems to be that Donald Trump has given the okay to Republicans to buy into this theory now. I think with Bush sort of being in the past, Um, the Bush administration being gone. It's not worth Republicans sticking up for that anymore. And with Donald Trump sort of hinting every once in a while about 9-11, you have these Republicans sort of joining in on this. So we may very well wind up at some point with, you know, 50% of the country believing in 9-11 conspiracy theories.
0: According to Yuzinski, we all carry with us some conspiratorial beliefs, but to believe in something as grand as Pizzagate or Flat Earth or that the moon landing was a hoax one would need to score very high on a measure of conspiratorial thinking. And to determine where a person lies on such a measure, he has, over the years, developed a test that consists of just three statements. Wondering how you would do on that test? Well, he's going to provide those statements right now, and for each one, answer on a scale from one to seven how much you agree with these statements. One being you strongly disagree, and seven being you strongly agree.
9: So much of our lives are being controlled by plots hatched in secret places. Even though we live in a democracy, a few people will always run things anyway. And the people who really run the country are not known to the voters.
0: So how did you do? Yazinski says that most people don't believe all three of these. If people do believe strongly in one... They will usually not believe strongly in the others, and therefore, most people score somewhere in the middle when you add them all together. The truly interesting thing is what happens when you ask other questions and then compare people's answers to their conspiratorial thinking scores.
9: And what we do from the answers to these three questions is we can create a conspiracy thinking score for each survey respondent. And, and that sort of tells us um, how conspiratorial they are. And it's that score is incredibly predictive of their other views. So we'll ask a question that says, here's a list of 10 groups. Uh, which of these groups do you think are conspiring against us now? And... Uh, We'll list Republicans, Democrats, rich people, corporations, you know, Freemasons, whatnot. Uh, People on the high end of our conspiracy thinking scale pick between five and ten groups. The people on the low end pick one group. So if you're on that high end of the scale, you're like somebody who's not going to go out at night because everyone's out to get us, you know. Um, and, and there are other things that make those people different, too. They tend to, to make less money. They tend to be less educated uh, at the very end, high end of the scale. They tend to be slightly more accepting of violence against government. So there are differences there um, as you go up and down that, that conspiracy thinking scale. But but the bottom line is the higher they are in conspiracy thinking, um, the more they subscribe to that worldview, the more likely they are to believe in individual conspiracy theories when when those come along.
0: People who score very high are also less likely to register to vote, less likely to put political signs in their yards, less likely to invest in the stock market, and more likely to vote third party. All of these are related to how much power you feel in comparison to the elites that you perceive as running the world. And at the very high end, it seems that these people who score really, really high on this test are the sort of people who believe in the conspiracies that paint a picture of the world where no one is in power. No one you would recognize. Not the Republicans, not the Democrats, not the left or the right, but some hidden cabal that's higher than all that. The hidden government, the shadow government that's really running everything.
9: One thing you find with these very extreme conspiracy theories um, is that it's not a lot of people that believe them, um, but the people that do believe them tend to believe in a lot of other conspiracy theories, and they have a very strong conspiratorial worldview, or at least that's what I can observe anecdotally. Um, in the documentary, I mean, all the people that believe in this said, yeah, I believed in a lot of other conspiracy theories too, so much so that they had lots of books on different conspiracy theories, whether it was 9-11 or whatnot. Um, so they already have this worldview and it's being expressed through their interest in, in a lot of other conspiracy theories. And then they just fall onto this and it, you know, makes sense to them. Um, if you go way up on the scale of conspiracy thinking and you just grab those people who, you know, for them, everything is a conspiracy. Um, those are the people who are going to buy into the, to, to the more zanier things like, like flat earth and, or hollow earth or cone earth, which I've
0: heard too. Yeah. Reptili- um, reptilians and.
9: Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Or the reptilian believers. I mean, it's, it's, you know, people can go to a David Icke show, the guy who pushes the, the, um, Reptilian elite theory. And in the first act, he'll come out and say, Oh, the big banks and the political parties and the governments start to get us. And everyone, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, and then act two, he gets to the lizard people, and then you have fewer people clapping <laughs> and buying into that part. Uh, but some do. So. So, you know, I don't know how to define in this context the word extreme, um, but I I guess just using it colloquially, you know, the more extreme the theory is, the less people you have buying in. And the only people who are going to buy in are the ones who have that really strong conspiratorial worldview.
0: And and do you think that we are – do you think this is something – this is on the – as a general phenomenon, is this on the rise or is it consistent over the eras? Is is this uh, more of a – um, is this something that we're focusing on more or is it actually something that is growing and metastasizing
9: there is no evidence right now that conspiracy beliefs are increasing I mean it could be the case but there's just no evidence of it and I haven't found any evidence that conspiracy thinking in general is increasing there is a lot of coverage of conspiracy theories and there's a lot of political rhetoric of conspiracy theories Um, But that's different than saying people believe in it more. So when I first got into studying this, I set up a Google alert to track the term conspiracy theory and a few other terms like Bigfoot and aliens and whatnot. And I was getting back about five or six articles a night um, on conspiracy theory. So, so news articles that had come out, um, the previous day. Um, but as time went on, um, particularly starting around 2015, I mean, that number has spiked. And of course, some of it has to do with, you know, just Google picks up more stuff now than it used to, but that doesn't explain the variation because now I get, you know, hundred plus stories a day with the word conspiracy theory in it. Um, it's a lot. And, and if you go to the New York Times, for example, um, you can look at, at their coverage of the topic of conspiracy theory in the last year, and you'll have probably 100 articles. If you go back 30 or 40 years ago, you'll have maybe one or two in a year. So you get very few uh, mentions of it. So it just wasn't something that mainstream outlets were paying attention to. But now, because you have political elites, namely Donald Trump, um, but also others engaging in this form of rhetoric. Now, journalists have to, you know, cover that rhetoric, cover the back and forth that ensues from it, and they have to cover the topic of conspiracy theory more generally to sort of understand what's what's going on in our politics. So, you wind up with a lot of coverage um, of it now that, that you just didn't have before. I think instead what we're having is that these ideas are coming to the forefront of our politics. Um, and, and I think in some ways Donald Trump has brought with him a group of people who um, have this strong conspiracy worldview. And he's engaging with them quite a bit. So it's their conspiracy politics that are sort of running the country right now.
0: Before we end this episode, I would like to leave you with a few things. If you've seen Behind the Curve, you probably remember how passionate the physicist Spiros Melakoulos was about reaching out to flat earthers, and anyone else, really, who denies scientific evidence or who is distrustful of science or scientists in general. And in his words, any scientist or skeptic who gives up on such people or who ridicules them or shames them or who looks down on them in any way, does so because, quote, you haven't developed your empathy to be able to see, from their point of view, where they are getting stuck. Here's Daniel J. Clark and Nick Ander with an update on what happened with him after filming.
2: Yes, uh, Spiros from our film, has a, he met a lot of Flat Earthers when the Los Angeles Film Festival premiere of our film. Uh, he agreed to meet up with some people later, and he did. He actually sat down with a group of Flat Earthers for about two hours. Twice. Twice he did this. And um, they had a lot of questions. And he was very... He didn't put them down in any way. He was very open to their thoughts. He said, oh, that's an interesting thought. Here's my experience. And here's why this... Here's why the scientific community doesn't believe that to be true. Or here's why the scientific community sees this as being true. Like the distance of the sun and all that stuff. And so um, I don't think any minds were necessarily changed. But they definitely appreciated his outreach and his his willingness to sit with them and not ridicule them and not belittle them in the process and the reason why i think that's so
6: valuable too even if no minds were necessarily changed in you know immediately is the fact that it's very easy for conspiratorial communities in particular to sort of other people to say well, there's this vast, you know, um, class of people making all the decisions in the universe, in the world that I don't have access to. This I don't understand their motivations, um, and it's easy for me to think of them as malicious or think of like any evidence coming out of maybe the, the greater scientific community. Well, you know, there's some you know malicious motivation behind that, um, and yet, like we were saying earlier, when you meet someone and you can interact with them and you can empathize with them, uh, it sort of removes your ability to other people in that way um you can form connections and if you can form a connection with a really high level scientist I mean Spiros is a quantum physicist at Caltech um and you can see that like he's genuine he's sincere he he genuinely wants to communicate you know why the scientific community thinks this then it opens you up over time I think to accepting evidence from uh these sources and it makes you understand that there is no malicious intent behind, uh, their, uh, you know, anything that they say. It's just, um, yeah, it's a misunderstanding, I guess.
0: And here's something else that really actually surprised me. The director, Daniel J. Clark said that he doesn't believe that the flat earth community will last.
2: I honestly do think it's going to fade away flat earth community, but I wonder in 10 years if, if, Mark and Patricia watch this film again, or Bob watches it about the gyro experiment. I wonder what their feelings are going to be looking back on themselves making these decisions that now they don't hold to anymore.
0: And along those lines, we discussed how people exit conspiracy communities. And what usually happens, what typically happens, is that people step down a ladder of beliefs, one at a time, usually one justification at a time, until they can reasonably justify to themselves and others that accepting they are wrong about one particular belief isn't so bad. And then eventually they can part ways with the core belief, and it won't make them seem foolish for believing it in the first place. They told me that one flat earther in particular, Jaron Capanella, seems to be doing this, seems to be working his way down that ladder.
6: Yeah, we actually have, I've heard somebody's exit strategy, kind of, in a way, because Jaron, I forget it was in an interview with us, or maybe in one of his videos, but He was talking about, because Jaren likes to say, he's the guy who did the laser experiments, he likes to say you know things like, well, if it's proven wrong, then it's wrong, and I'll move on. Um, And there's been a few things, actually, where he's, like, he admitted that the globe model of the eclipse works, and it makes sense, whereas a lot of other Flat Earthers were trying to say it didn't. Um, So he's shown an ability to accept things like that, maybe more so than others, to a certain extent. Um, But he said that, well, even if Flat Earth gets proved wrong, and I accept that, like, I know that NASA has never been to space um, because he believes that NASA's been lying and he believes he's seen the evidence for that. And then we'll, if that gets proven to him, then I, I suspect that they'll say, well, we know the moon landing at least was faked uh, because they can always notch down to the conspiracy just below and hold on to that as like, well, maybe this was wrong, but at least I had good reason to believe it because this was right and like that step down i think will be i think it will look like that it'll be slow like that and they'll go down a notch and down a notch and
0: and finally i asked all three daniel j clark nick ander and caroline clark what they hope people will take away from their film
5: i think the conspiracy theorists that watch my projects are generally disappointed with the film because it doesn't you know go into all the proof that they they talk about but i think that's because i make these films for people like me who don't believe in those conspiracy theories but might encounter those people um, and need to understand how to communicate with them and how to, you know, effectively, hopefully make change with those people. So um, something with Behind the Curve that I hope audiences take away is that this is human psychology. We all believe things that are maybe not based totally in evidence or we just assume things. And so... um, It's important to understand that flat earthers are not unique and that the psychological principles we bring up in the film are human behaviors that apply to all of us. So in the end of the film, we hope that you reflect on the things you believe and um, examine why you believe what you believe.
6: I I would want people to walk away from this thinking, uh, how am I like them? What do I what do I do? How do I think that might be irrational? What shortcuts do I take in my thinking? And what beliefs am I trying to justify by cherry-picking evidence or by uh you know starting at the conclusion and working backward, as opposed to having an honest uh accounting of this particular belief and asking myself, wait a minute, why why is this something I believe?
2: Yeah, and to to go up, I agree with all these points <laughs> so far. Um but also Uh, I'm sure pretty much everybody has someone in their life that is a conspiracy theorist to some degree or another, or even politically or religiously fanatical. And uh, it's a way to understand where they're coming from and to hopefully better engage and not write someone off and not kick someone out of your life because you don't agree with them or you feel like they're unreachable, because I don't think that's necessarily true. And so... You know, that's a lofty hope, but I hope that this just makes people able to have or allows people to have a conversation with people they don't agree with at all.
0: That is it for this episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. Links to everything that we talked about will be at youarenotso smart.com, along with previous episodes and transcripts. You can also find the previous episodes at Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, and everywhere else they put podcasts these days. Follow the show on Twitter at NotSmartBlog. Follow me at David McRaney. Follow everything at Facebook, which is just slash You Are Not So Smart. A link to the live show on May 15th. That's going to be found on all the social media. Please Join me May 15th in New York City. Tickets are cheap. It's going to be fun. I'm going to have guests. We're going to talk about a lot of cool stuff. Uh, the music in the beginning, that's Clash by Caravan Palace. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash Smart. Pitching in at any amount gets you the show ad-free. But at the higher amounts, you get t-shirts and signed posters and signed books and other stuff. But if you really want to support the show, come on out. Come to New York City, May 15th, The Bell House. Details are at the website. See you soon.